sexist thing to tell you. Ooh, what is it? So a lot of our listeners know, especially on Patreon, that I got a new job Mm -hmm. and I'm moving classrooms. So I'm packing up all my stuff and I'm moving my stuff to this new classroom. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sitting in the house last night and something flies in front of me. (gasps) And I was like, oh, my God, a cicada got in here. Like, you know, must be when we open the door. So I'm like, Jake, can you get the cicada? We're looking around can't find a cicada it's a cockroach oh my a flying cockroach all cockroaches fly do they really? yes but i i was like it's like all the it was right where all the boxes are from my classroom and i'm like i know it's common for them to be in schools but now i brought a cockroach oh, into my home a school cockroach yeah they don't <laughs> die but no we killed it and now i'm like i have to unpack all these boxes i have to get rid of the cardboard because jake said something about how they like like nesting in cardboard i think it's because they use like glue that they like a lot in the binding of the boxes i guess um i remember that from my time with german cockroaches <laughs> oh yeah in your um apartment so it's so common apartment. in apartments but i was like if i get yeah. cockroaches in this house no i'm yeah, never gonna get rid of, of them it's it. The it i was like i need to get this all out i should have just taken it all out in the rain and just started started from scratch <laughs> i just could not believe it um i've never had a cockroach in my house before so well, if it's a bigger cockroach, that that's usually not too bad. But but yeah, the Germans they'll it was, infiltrate. They're like the little yeah, like small and the see through ones. Like yeah, no, this so. was like a full cockroach, oh. like a school cockroach. Oh okay, so that's my cockroach story. If anybody good. has good ways to get rid of cockroaches, I'm all ears. I just feel like this is bug week because the cicadas are really bad right now they're popping and they are just flying into your windshield left and right your face uh poor casey he works on roofs outside (laughs) he had 30 on him yesterday someone counted it was 30 cicadas hanging out you because you shouldn't take them off because they'll just come right back on it doesn't matter horrible yeah but uh we're not here to talk about bugs no we're here to talk about herstory on the rocks with katie and Allie. this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history and we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places and we're loud and we cut each other (laughs) off so get used to it guys we got our second negative review i know i'm so especially because it was like very specifically directed towards me it made me feel really bad no because it said lots of cutting off and that's me oh did they say that yeah it was like lots of cutting off and very loud laughter and i was like yeah that's our show they also said loud ugly laughter which made me feel really self-conscious no that's just somebody who doesn't listen to conversational podcasts (laughs) but i will say um i didn't break down the way i thought i would because in the past like when stuff like that has happened like i've like really taken it hard so i feel like i'm personally growing a little bit (laughs) good job because i was thinking about it i was like there are things that like i think are absolutely perfect and people still have negative things to say about them so like i need to just like get over it yeah it doesn't matter um so yeah so if you want to send us some love though this week that would be still great (laughs) tell katie you love her voice um but no we're here to talk about women from history and i'm gonna tell a story and katie's gonna cut me off and i'm gonna laugh loudly (laughs) and then katie's gonna tell a story and i'm gonna cut 
her off mm -hmm. and she's gonna laugh loudly because we're actually having fun together oh yeah and we're drinking like a bunch a whole bunch another thing to really consider yeah so vibing this podcast <laughs> <laughs> we're super busy and you're super busy mm -hmm. everybody's busy right now mm -hmm. um i think you are out buying the perfect card for graduation Ugh. Father's Day, yep. maybe a belated Mother's Day. There's so many things happening for people. So Weddings going that have on. been put off. <laughs> so you are in the Hallmark section reading through every single card. Mm -hmm. So, But you're listening because you got your AirPods in, you're jamming, you're getting your jobs done, whatever. Um, but the point is, you can't look up what these women look like on your phone. No. So we're going to describe what they look like so you can have a picture of them in your head while we're regaling you with their stories. We're going to get a little... Physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Jackie Orms this week, and she's an African-American woman with short black hair that's typically styled in like an updo, like mm -hmm. a 1950s updo. She dressed like she worked in an office with Don Draper, like mm. very professional um, mm -hmm. copywriter style outfits. And, um, she really knew how to work her facial angles in mm. photos, like long before the selfie, mm -hmm. you know how like most people will hold the camera and like face to the side, chin down. Oh yeah. She had that look down super early and, um, you know, she just looks like a woman who n knew what she was doing with herself. I love that. And she's very pretty. Mm. Fantastic. Who are you doing? What does she look like? So I'm doing Karen Beecher, a.k.a. Bumblebee. She is a tall, strong, black female superhero who obviously wears a yellow and black bumblebee suit. <laughs> <laughs> this suit has wings, and she usually wears some type of goggle with it. Um, her costume is tight-fitting, but it covers, like, her whole body. I mean, like, up to the neck and, like, down to, like, everything, um, usually. But, of course, like, there's been tons of iterations. And when she's, like, teenage Bumblebee, she wears, like, cute, like, crop tops. <laughs> I and, love like, that. It's so cute. Um, she is often pictured wearing, in the early years, a short, cropped Afro hairstyle. Um, but sometimes her hair is more long and flowy. And again, when she's depicted as a teenager, she has like the two kind of like, like puffs on the side. Uh, but I think my favorite is when she had a version of a beehive hairdo because obviously it goes on theme. <laughs> and if she's not wearing her signature bee costume, she can be seen wearing a lab coat because aside from fighting crime, she's a val very talented engineer the female superheroes are like, like very intelligent kind, like they all have phds yeah, yeah, yeah. or mds right or the super they're all doctors yeah they are <laughs> it's like the only way a girl could be this cool is yeah. if <laughs> exactly um so are you ready to find out what you're drinking i am it's so bright it's very very colorful and it's a take on this famous cocktail called the cartoon Ooh. and it's supposed to be layered so if anybody wants to try a layered cocktail go for it i was not successful so it's supposed to be grenadine in the bottom then cherry liqueur then gin then peach cream then pineapple juice but i mixed the peach cream and mixed in a cocktail shaker one dash of grenadine an ounce and a half of cherry liqueur an ounce and a half of gin two ounces of pineapple juice um and then shook it up dumped it in a martini glass and put a peach on the rim instead of in it because it's peach season in maryland so mm. they are here cheers cheers 
Mm, I love it. I love it too. I thought the grenadine would be too much. Yeah. Um, with all the other like juicy things, but it's actually not that bad. No, it's not. Um, because I think like grenadine can be really overpowering, but mm. I feel like you put in just enough. Um, and then the cherry liqueur on top of that really like deepens the cherry flavor, which I love. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's fantastic. And I love any drink that like when you shake it up, it gets like this foam. little foam on top. <laughs> it's the it's, pineapple. Like, really thin layer. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> and it's called the perfect draw. Mm. So I'm excited about telling you about Jackie Orms, but I want to know what you know about her first. Okay. I know that she was like a really early like cartoonist like I think she was like the first female black cartoonist and but I think she had like a Sunday strip but that's like really all I know is that she's like this trailblazing woman um but yeah but that's it (laughs) and and she's such a trailblazing woman that they even recognized that she was a trailblazing woman like in the 50s oh wow so one of the first things I found was this documentary that came out in the 1950s that I watched called one tenth of a nation and it celebrates um black Americans and she was one of the seven women there's also men in it but she's one of the seven women that are acknowledged in that documentary so I watched that and it's got the 1950s like Mm -hmm. you know this is Jackie in her office, you know, like that person voiceovering everything she's doing. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, and then I watched some YouTube videos called the root one called make stuff. I read a couple biographies online. There are full books written that include her. I didn't Mm -hmm. get any of those. Um, but she just lived a stunning life. And I, wish I knew more about her. I've posted stuff, some stuff about her sometimes on our Instagram, but I've never gone any deeper. Okay. So, Zelda Jackson was born August 1st, 1911 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Ah, A great place. I Uh love Pittsburgh. So close to here. Hate the Steelers. Steel City. (laughs) Lots of rivers. It's a really fun city. Decent Hard Rock Cafe. (laughs) Decent. (laughs) I did buy something from there. Everyone knows the best Hard Rock Cafe is in Niagara Falls. (laughs) Duh. No, it's in London. Katie, it's the first one. They have a museum in the basement or some shit. They have a Hard Rock Cafe. They do. I have I would imagine they would have one in Mm. Niagara Falls. But I think it's listed as like Buffalo's. Mm, I think it's in like sense. the city, like adjacent. Yeah, I think makes it's in sense. Buffalo. Tell me if I'm you wrong. You know, it's funny. I was gonna say Buffalo, and then I was <laughs> like, oh no, it's probably in Niagara yeah. Falls proper. <laughs> okay, it doesn't matter. Okay, stop cutting me off, Katie. Oh, so- God, sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. Keep doing it. Okay. This is why people actually listen. Okay, so. <laughs> Her dad was William Jackson, and her mom was Mary Jackson, and her dad was the owner of a printing company and the proprietor of a movie theater. But he was actually killed in an automobile accident when she was only six years old. So she and her older sister, Dolores, actually had to go live with their aunt and uncle while their mom got back on their feet. Because, like, women back then didn't have jobs. Mom eventually remarries, and the family relocates to a suburban area a little outside of Pittsburgh. And she describes this part of her life as spread out and simple. Nothing momentous ever happened there. Okay. (laughs) Sounds great. But she was very creative at this time in her life and started to flourish. So her family obviously bought bars of soap because that's what you would use to clean yourself. But instead of using them for washing, she would take the bars of soap and whittle them into sculptures. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So at a very young age, she's practicing with these like artistic expression. 
And she's also going to high school in this suburb and was the art director of her high school yearbook during her senior year. And in the yearbook, you can actually see some of her early art because she included lively caricatures of students and teachers. Oh, that's so cool. It is cool. (laughs) I want her to draw me. (laughs) Now, this is 20 years before board... um, Brown v. Board of Education. So even though Pittsburgh has a very large black population and has since pre-Civil War, it was like mm-hmm. one of the largest free black populations in the country mm. in um, Pennsylvania. But the schools are obviously still going to struggle. This yeah. is the 1930s. Yeah. And I looked up actually the county that she's in today because I know the county where I where I'm currently leaving also struggles with this. There's two elementary schools in that county one of the schools on this side is 78% black today, and the one on the other side of town is 84% white. Oh, wow. So although segregation has been illegal since Brown v. Board of Education, you know, there's many reasons this still occurs, but it's resulting in longstanding separation of people mm-hmm. and races. So that's the county where she was in the 30s, and okay. now that stat was 2017. Oh, my God. So, during her time in high school, she wrote a letter to the editor of the Pittsburgh Courier, which is a weekly African-American newspaper published each Saturday. The editor, Robert Van, wrote back, and the correspondence led to her first writing assignment covering a boxing match. Her coverage of the following matches made her an avid fan of boxing for, like, the rest (laughs) of her life. And... She's just past the era where Nellie Bly and stunt journalism was really important. So it was kind of in vogue for newspapers to hire young, cute girls to go yeah. out and cover stories. Well, I think about, like, I feel like Jackie Kennedy Onassis mm-hmm. did that when she, like, was, like, before she was married, like, when she was going out of, I think, college it was. Yeah, like, she didn't she, like, like, get a job for Vogue at one yeah, point? She yeah, yeah. for Vogue. She was, like, the girl in the street, and then they were going to send her to Paris. And She I went for, like, a day and then was like, I yeah, can't do like, it. No, thanks. She, like, won a contest. Yeah. She was so smart. Like, I know. Good at things. She was like, I don't really want to do this anywhere. <laughs> so, one year out of high school, it's 1931. She marries Earl Orms. The couple initially moves to Salem, Ohio, so Earl could be closer to his family, but Jackie is not happy there, so they move um, farther north to Chicago. So now her and her husband are in Chicago. They did at one point have a child, but the baby passed away at three years old from a brain tumor. Oh, no. And I couldn't really find much about that. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. That's traumatic. It really is. I was just listening to a story about that happened to... um an actor who's on that show catastrophe mm. um it happened to him and his family and he did because he did a whole like kind of piece for npr on grieving mm. and it was really interesting because he was like i mean anything anyone says to you you just hate <laughs> yeah oh there's no good or bad thing to say i yeah. like um as you know one of my best friends her daughter had leukemia uh, several mm-hmm. years ago and it was just one of those things where it's like I it's like walking on eggshells because you yeah. know if you are whatever whatever you say is wrong yeah exactly Ugh. if you say nothing it's wrong if you say something it's wrong so poor Jackie oh, poor Jackie no. oh my gosh and especially like early when like the 40s and yeah. 50s like 
the support systems are probably not there. There's not a lot of emotional support, and there's not a lot of ways for you to, like, publicly show that you're mourning without yeah. seeming crazy, especially yeah. for women. Like, that happened to, like, Mary Todd Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if if 100 people in your life die and you start crying, people are like, she's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> she's not crazy. She's, like, really going through PTSD. <laughs> So during the 1930s in the United States, only 21% of the workforce was women, and they're mostly in female-centric jobs. Teacher, household help, secretary. Women were also expected to quit their jobs once they became married, which obviously Jackie got married. Some places even had laws that punished women who continued working after marriage, (laughs) and that was called marriage bars. You would have to, like, pay extra money if you wanted to continue working so it was almost not a help to your family what the fuck i know I've never heard of that before i know and i didn't like i've been i knew it was like against the quote-unquote societal rules but i definitely didn't know that people would be like financially penalized for it well it also kind of like beyond reproach recently did an episode on like the purposeful destruction of the middle class. Mm. And I feel like that probably has something to do with it on like, you know, if they have a two income household, they're more likely to be middle class. So like, why don't we just put it, put a pin in that, put a little damper on it. it. (laughs) No. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But Jackie didn't stop working. She was like, I don't want to stop working. And uh, Jackie's journalism led her to become a proofreader. Um, and this is before they moved to Ohio, but she was obviously still with Earl, but she's a proofreader for the Pittsburgh Courier, and she becomes then a freelance writer in places, and she's focusing on police beats and court cases and human interest topics. And at this time, she says, and this is from an interview from the 1980s, she said, I enjoyed a great career running around town looking into everything the law would allow and writing about it. But what she really wanted was to draw. She wanted to draw. And there's very limited uh, black representation in the cartooning industry still today. And the representation that was there at this point in history was very negative and focused on negative black stereotypes. Everybody can picture the cartoons I'm talking about that oh, are like yeah. the mammy cartoons mm-hmm. with the very dark skin and the bright red lips and the oh, yeah. apron. And that is all that existed in black print media. That was it. Oh my gosh. In fact, the 1944 cartooning instructional manual <gasps> says this. Oh no. The colored people are good subject for action pictures. They are natural-born humorists and will often assume ridiculous attitudes or say side-splitting things with no apparent intention of being funny. The cartoonist usually plays on the colored man's love of loud clothes, watermelon, (gasps) chicken, crap shooting, fear of ghosts, etc., Fear of ghosts? I what? could not believe that this was in a manual on a how to manual. make cartoons. What the hell? How to use black people in cartoons is what this manual was describing. I hate that. I do. What Watermelon and chicken and loud clothing. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's really disgusting. I, I hate it. I mean, this is World War II era. This is not that long ago. Oh, my God. 
I don't even know what to say because it's it, appalling. That's why it's really crazy. Well, because I feel like sometimes people think that like, oh, it's just like what everybody kind of did. And it's like, no, it's what people were being actually instructed to do. Right. Like, and that obviously is a whole different problem, but it's all rooted in the same problem of like black people are not meant to be seen as people. They're like comedy funny like, side tropes. characters yeah. yeah and like you're able to use them for your own gain and not treat them as like real fucking human beings like what the hell it's a caricature joke in the side panel of your life yeah oh my gosh okay yes i did not know that yeah it it's very a lot of sense it's very very uncomfortable i yeah i had never seen that either obviously i had seen the cartoons that portrayed um, black people negatively, but oh, I didn't yeah. know that there was specific instruction in right. like textbooks yeah. telling people how to do it, like how to how to draw black people for right. dummies. You know, yeah, like that yeah. yellow book. It's how, like, to ah! be, how to be racist for dummies. <laughs> exactly. So her first comic strip was called Torchy Brown, and it was in Dixie to Harlem and appeared in the Pittsburgh Courier in May of 1937. The work was not syndicated in the traditional sense, but the Courier had 14 city editions, so it was read from coast to coast in the United States. The first strip starred Torchy Brown and was a humorous tale of a teen from Mississippi moving north to find fame and fortune singing at the famous Cotton Club. Torchy's journey from Mississippi to New York or Dixie to Harlem mirrored the great migration of movement of African-American families from the south to the north at the time. But one important distinction about Torchy is that the comic strip was full of intelligent black characters interacting in day-to-day life, quote, just like a white person would. (laughs) Imagine. Imagine. (laughs) They're just like a... (laughs) What? (laughs) Can't believe it. Some problems, uh, you know, they had the same... They had the same problems as white people in this comic. It, they had the same styling. So the body type was the same. The clothing was the same. The behaviors, the emotion. Well, she's taking the trope out of it. Right. She's it like, wasn't a trope. They're not tropes. They're actual people. Right. <laughs> and it's interesting because you look at the comic and well, she really decided that this is the person that we're going to draw in these cartoons, regardless of skin tone. They're all going to look the same. Mm-hmm. So these are the characters that she is putting. Because of Torchy Brown's comic, Jackie became the first black woman to produce a nationally appearing comic strip. Torchy Brown ran for one full year, but then came to an end when Jackie's contract ended and she left the Pittsburgh Courier. Obviously, that's when she got married and went to Ohio. Shortly after Jackie moves to Chicago, she begins writing occasional articles for the Chicago Defender. The Chicago Defender is one of the country's most famous black newspapers. I think it's the one that Grace Lee Boggs ends up being associated with, like Mm -hmm. from earlier in this uh, season. This is around the time of World War II, and a couple of things happen that are important. One, people are really drawn to the news to find out what's happening. Mm -hmm. Two, readership of black newspapers is going up among black and white people. In order... 
three. In order to keep a united war front, many newspapers are closely watched and monitored in their content. And then four, the comic section is largely left alone, specifically in black newspapers because nobody's watching it. Very interesting because I'm sure it was kind of like, oh, like, I'm sure like everything's fine. It's for kids. Like nobody cares about that. That's very interesting that they just weren't monitoring it. <laughs> so now she's in this like little niche section of society that yeah. can kind of do and say what she wants yeah. without anybody noticing. Mm. So then she's in Chicago. Torchy has been left behind. Don't worry. She'll come back. <laughs> Torchy's been left behind. So now we have Candy. Instead of being a multi-panel comic, Candy's a single panel comic which is kind of like what you see in the um the new yorker where it's just like how the adams family was originally it's one square with one picture and words at the bottom oh like a non sequitur yes yes so that's how candy or is family circus <laughs> yes or, or let's, come on dumb it down for me family circus yes there's a circle it's a family got it okay candy is that and she is a beautiful, wisecracking black housemaid. She would criticize unjust politics, make jokes about her unseen employer. She was witty. She was lovely. She was knowledgeable about current events. Now, this only lasted for a few months because Jackie hit her stride with her newest single panel cartoon. In August 1945, her most famous and lasting comic contribution would debut in the Chicago Defender, and it was Patty Joe and Ginger. It ran for 11 years. <gasps> oh my God. I know. It was a big sister, little sister setup that had it like an insightfully politically aware child. So this is the little sister, Patty Joe. She's like five years old and is just a wise cracking little girl <laughs> who knew everything. And then of course her just beautiful adult, stylish older sister, Ginger. Uh, and it ran from 1945 to 1956. Patty Joe was young and spunky and ginger. Oh, she shined. <laughs> and in this, Jackie showed that she was a stylish black woman. Ginger would walk out of fancy hotels. She would walk into fancy restaurants. She would try on clothes in famous department stores. She looked super sophisticated. And some people just couldn't fathom a woman like this. And then other people could fathom it but just had no representation in print media. Like you look at the cartoons and they look like they could exist today in yeah. like the Baltimore sun because of her success with Patty Joe and ginger, the courier started to run an eight page or eight um, panel color comic insert that reimagined Torchy Brown. So now Torchy Brown's getting a comeback and this is her character from Pittsburgh, but now it's called Torchy in Heartbeats. And Torchy was a beautiful independent woman who finds adventure while seeking true love. And it's like a spy adventure mystery with this black woman as the lead. Sounds great. It, it, the, <laughs> the comics are beautiful. It looks like it could be like a present day comic book. In the strip, Jackie shows that she's a very talented fashion designer, as well as her beautiful vision of a black woman. 
this comic strip is actually accompanied by paper dolls that little girls can cut <gasps> out of the newspaper while they're reading. Oh, they're actually in the newspaper. Yes. So they have them just by their parents getting the newspaper. <sighs> that is incredible it's so cool because your parents are already buying it so it's not an extra not charge an extra expense so it's um torchy in the middle and then like four or five outfits <gasps> around her and you could cut them out every week every once week. a week oh my yeah. gosh and then your doll has just like unlimited free outfits yes That's incredible it is such <gasps> a service to like little girls who don't have representation in the doll industry right because like i'm sure like most of these little girls can't just like go to the doll store and find dolls that look like them well the doll didn't exist until jackie oh my gosh so there are no black baby doll there are black baby dolls at the time but they're all unrealistic caricatures right so this paper doll is like the first this is a doll i can cut out and it's mine so torchy is also kind of interesting again a not policed era in cartooning because it's funny there are they are police in cartoons like we know betty boop got policed we know a lot of white cartoons and cartoons that were on television got censored but these black cartoon strips are not being censored because people aren't paying close enough attention mm -hmm. which is good yeah <laughs> and bad at the same time <laughs> so torchy is shown falling in love she has a career and then she's also fighting racism in the cartoons she's fighting sexism in the cartoons she's fighting environmental pollution which people are like looking back at this and they're like wait 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 wait, wait. she's dealing with like air pollution in the 1940s and 50s in these cartoons and nobody's saying anything and those are the most famous installments of the cartoon today where you can see jackie through torchy telling us how we should feel well because also like these are weekly we every week every week uh -huh. so she also has like a lot of time and space to fill so then it's like again if it was coming out like quarterly or something you're right people might be paying more attention and be like well what do we want to say because we're only saying this four times a year mm -hmm. meanwhile with the weekly paper you're saying it 52 times a year right you're being able to give a message to people and I feel like it actually gives you much more freedom when, like, you're doing it all the time. Because then you can be like, yeah, I'm going to slip this in because this is something that people like me and Torchy are actually experiencing. And it it is really, I mean, the, the readership of the um, Chicago Defender is now black and white people in Chicago. It is oh, wow. skyrocketing. Yeah. Um, not because of her cartoons, but certainly not in spite of. Yeah. Like, people mm -hmm. are like, oh, my gosh, like, this is kind of cool. I love it. Yeah. And so, in 1947, Jackie contracted with Terry Lee Doll Company to produce a baby doll based on little Patty Joe from Patty oh. Joe and Ginger. The Patty Joe doll was on shelves in time for Christmas and was the first ever black doll to have an extensive upscale wardrobe and you could style her hair. Oh my gosh. As in her cartoons, the doll represented a real child instead of a caricature of a black person. These dolls were popular among black and white kids. People were buying these dolls. And Patty Joe dolls are still a highly sought after collector's item. Jackie did retire from cartooning in 1956 because of rheumatoid arthritis. 
Although she did continue to paint, that was easier for her. She did murals and still lives and portraits. Uh, and her husband ends up dying in 1976, but they stayed married all that time. Um, but Jackie would continue to invigorate the world. She was an advocate for civil rights in her daily life. In the 1950s and beyond, she would go around raising money for charity and social justice, and she would attend events and spoke at high schools and just was answer every letter she got with advice. Her... Um, Heroines that she drew are iconic, strong, independent women who were socially and politically aware and would strive for their goals against all odds, which defied social norms at the time. She loved a girl that was like pulled up by her bootstraps. And I watched this um, college professor on YouTube who's like a professor of um, like comics throughout time. Mm. That's like their major. And mm. one of the things she said was she mentioned actually Bumblebee. She was really? like, without Jackie Orms, you have all these characters that wouldn't exist yeah. because they didn't have like a, a ground to build off of. Yeah. Because people like Torchy and Patty Joe and Ginger were like the first time we saw real black women in print media that weren't being taken advantage of or used for a, the purpose of white people. Right, exactly. It's like you can't just go from like mammy cartoons to Bumblebee. No, it, there's got to be a step it, in the middle. There has to be a step in the middle because also you have to have someone who understands that world in the middle. Right. Because like Bumblebee was created by a white man, as you know, and so like if a white man can't see like a black woman, be like, no, this is how you should represent like people of color. Be like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and you There's can't... There's an important step in the middle. You can't get up to, like, all the characters in Black Panther. You can't get up yeah. to the storms, you know? Like, there's there's something that's beyond that you can't get to without these ladders. Right, especially because, as we said earlier, the literal textbooks that some of these early cartoonists are drawing from are telling them to do it one way. Right. And it took someone like Jackie Ormez to tell them, no, you should do it another way. Exactly. <laughs> So she's defying expectations for women and women of color. She also showed women dealing with everyday items, which was important. It wasn't dragons or superpowers or evil stepmothers. It was, I am facing the world. Her attention to humanitarian causes and left-wing ideologies obviously led to the FBI investigating her and her work. Oh, my God. <laughs> because she's a potentially dangerous woman. <laughs> but after her retirement, she continued volunteering at fundraisers, museums, and fashion shows and would actually be a founding member of a board on a museum for African-American history. She dedicated her life to helping others, and when she couldn't draw, like I said, she would paint. She was a passionate doll collector of her own and had over 150 antique and modern dolls. And in an interview in 1985, she said, I'm always surprised when people remember me. Oh, my God. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> but later that year, in 1985, she passed away from a cerebral hemorrhage in Chicago. Mm. Until 1989, she's the only really well-known black woman in the newspaper industry. 1989. Gosh. She was inducted into the Black Journalist Hall of Fame and the Comic Industry Hall of Fame. And that was over 30 years after her death. Both of those were posthumously. Ugh. 
She laid the groundwork for female black cartoon characters and artists by setting a fresh perspective on black female characters and expectations for herself while setting the standard for black representation for others. And that's Jackie Orms. That was incredible. She's so cool. She is really cool. <laughs> and um, I mean, everything she drew, like if you just Google Jackie Orms, there'll be a mm -hmm. couple pictures of her. There's like the Google Doodle. There's mm -hmm. other people who've drawn pictures of her, but they draw pictures of her in the style that she drew pictures oh, so it's really interesting cool. to see and then immediately you're gonna see the paper doll cutouts you'll see the patty joe doll you'll see the um candy which is like the maid in the outfit it's just a really nice google image search it oh. feels really really good to look at i love that so that's jackie's story that's perfect all right, well, we have to get new cocktails, and we're going to come back with another story in the comic world. <laughs> this is Stephanie. And Tux. <laughs> From the podcast Beyond Reproach, a show about political scandals from American history, but it's fun, we swear. The idea behind our show is that politicians and government officials are meant to be public servants, and their behavior should be beyond reproach, but if history has taught us anything, it's that a lot of politicians are total scumbags. So we decided to do a show where we drink period-appropriate historic cocktails while exploring some of the government scandals and shitty politicians of America's past. We are not historians. We're just a couple of drunks who never shut up and love history. We hope you'll join us on Beyond Reproach for some big facts, good laughs, a little bit of swearing, a lot of drinking, and a real good time. America's history is juicy. We just add gin. We're back. We're back with a really pretty, pretty cocktail. It's very pretty. Similar garnish, but like it's so much prettier than my cocktail. My, my cocktail looks like a toddler made it, and this is beautiful. But it's so funny because yours is the cartoonist and mine is the actual cartoon character. Let's switch. Let's just switch. It's fine. It's going to be no, fine. No, it's great. I just want, like, I've always wanted to do like a take on the bee's knees cocktail because Cute. I love yeah, the yeah, name. Yeah. Um, and you love saying that phrase. I do. It's the bee's knees. So, so yeah. So for Bumblebee, I did a take on the bee's knees cocktail. So it's obviously called the Bumblebee's knees. Um, <laughs> and it is two ounces of gin, an ounce of peach schnapps lavender honey simple syrup and lemon juice and then you garnish it with fresh lavender and a peach slice so cheers, cheers. Mm. really tasty very nice. floral but not overly floral sweet but not too sweet mm. i love it it's very good and the honey of course mm -hmm. is pertinent for bumblebee mm -hmm. um mm. you want to hear a really embarrassing story about lavender before we begin obviously so my kids did read like a book in school and you know how after you read a book you have to take like a vocab test uh -huh. one of them it was like it was like a southern book and there was like a matching and caroline got the lavender one wrong and she was like well none of the definitions said like the light color purple and i was like Oh, it's a flower. Oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, my God. How have I not told oh, you this? Oh, my gosh. How have I missed that? 
because you haven't gone to the lavender fields of France. It's not your fault. <laughs> those other kids just had a leg up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all those all other kids France. that have been to France. <laughs> um, so I'll have to give her some flowers out of this drink. <laughs> <laughs> I am excited, though, because the lavender came from my garden because mm. my lavender is going absolutely crazy right now in my herb garden. Look at you. And it is doing this thing. So it's in this big container with a bunch of other herbs, and it has been like, going up and around so it's like reaching around and it's so pretty and it's all about to bloom so i'm really excited it'll be great okay so i don't know much (laughs) i don't know much i think you did um so like i know i i feel like bumblebee was a character that's from like the started in like the 70s um i know my that there are present day action figures of her and my kids have been given like bumblebee barbies Mm -hmm. or like things like that I've seen her on a couple of, like, girl superhero cartoons, Mm -hmm. but I don't know anything about, like, her backstory. That she's not, like, somebody I've been into. Okay, perfect. So, I just want to make this clear. I even more, I don't know anything about comic books. And this character has been around since the 70s, as you said. So, there's a lot of story that, frankly, I'm just not going to get into. So, I'm sorry if I offend the comic book world. Also, I think someone said to us that, like, they're like, oh, you do so many DC characters. Like, you know, you don't do enough Marvel. And I'm really sorry, but I literally don't have any idea who's who. So <laughs> it's really not intentional. <laughs> we really do. I do really know who's not, who. You know who's who, but I don't. And it's really not intentional. And I usually set the season. So I just And we really whoever. will. We really do have the Marvel we'll characters. On the list. I have no idea who belongs to what universe. Okay. Well, people really want us to do Black Widow, and they Ooh, really okay. want us to do um, the Scarlet Witch. I've gotten a couple, okay. which is... Because um, am I wrong that, like, I've, it seems to me that the more famous female characters are from DC. Yeah. Is and that wrong? Yes. We did okay. Captain Marvel, though, and that's... That's true. That's... That was very early on, but that's Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Um, but we haven't done... <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Supergirl, Catwoman, that's all in, like, the Batman universe, which yeah. is DC. Yeah. Because um, they have the best villains. They do. <laughs> really good villains. <laughs> all right. Perfect. So I just wanted to say that because I really promise it's not intentional that we ignore the Marvel universe. It's just that I don't yes, know. Yes, it is. I hold a grudge. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So Karen Beecher made her first comic book appearance in December 1976 in issue 45 of the DC Teen Titans comic book series. In this first appearance, we really only know her as the girlfriend of Teen Titan Mal Duncan, and he is the first African-American member of the Teen Titans. Obviously, there were black superheroes at this time, like Green Lantern and Black Lightning, but he's the first of this particular group. So I know that most people at least my age know the Teen Titans from the series from the early 2000s or like Teen Titans Go. But, you know, I think a lot of people didn't realize that these kids have been around for a while. So I'm going to give you a little history on the Teen Titans because obviously Bumblebee's story isn't super long. (laughs) So they are exactly how they sound. They're teenage superheroes. They first made their appearance in 1964, but officially became the Teen Titans in 1965. The group was started by Robin, and he kind of banded together with the other young sidekicks of the Justice League, which I absolutely love. So it's him, Kid Flash, Aqualad... (laughs) 
<laughs> in Wonder Girl, which apparently Aqualad is like its own kind of thing because he like gets really mad because he's a teenager and he's like, I hate that I have to go back to the water every couple of hours, you know, but whatever. It's like Donald Duck hating Mickey Mouse. Exactly. Right. Um, so they gathered together to form a mean teen crime fighting machine. Team. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so this new line of comics was really meant to connect with the teenagers of the 60s because, like, obviously teenagers have always been super into comics. But they wanted to, like, connect with them on a pop culture level so the teens could be like oh i'm sorry i can't go to the mission i have a tickets to a bob dylan concert or like <laughs> do like, you like the beatles <laughs> i hate when cartoons like really lean into pop culture and this was why they were created oh. so it could be like we have to rescue the beatles from the monkeys or i whatever. hate it like, i hate it <laughs> It's so great. But they also kind of function as like comic book Dawson's Creek with a lot of like teen issues like love triangles and drug use. Good, 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 good. So people really like it. So they stuck around. And in 1970, they introduced Mal Duncan. So Mal Duncan is interesting because he was just a regular guy who they found when he was like beating up a group of like white supremacist assholes named the Hell's Honkies, Ooh. who I'm sure were at the Capitol riots. Good title. So the teens were really impressed with him, so they invited him to join the Titans. And so he joins the Teen Titans, and he kind of has a thing with another member named Lilith Clay. And in one of his first appearances, like, he's seen kissing her goodbye which is listed as the first interracial romantic scene in comic book history wow i know which of course results in hate mail and death threats but Surprise. thankfully some really nice letters too <laughs> so it kind of reminds me of the vanessa williams thing like you know people being like i hate you and then other people be like no but i love you it's like really contentious um, <laughs> you're never going to please everybody. So Mal Duncan was initially really excited about joining the team, but soon he started to get like a little self-conscious because he didn't actually have any powers. He was just really brave and strong. <laughs> he was eventually given some powers, um, one in the form of a powerful exoskeleton. So this exoskeleton belonged to a past superhero named the guardian. So then he becomes the guardian, but it's also like then it's like, okay, but you're not your own original character. You're just putting on like literally the suit of a different character. Mm. And like, so it's like he like finally gets a superhero name and very he Miles gets like, Morales becoming Spider-Man. Yeah, he's like not quite finding himself yet. Camilla Khan becoming Miss Marvel. Marvel. Mm -hmm. And so it's again, like a lot of like identity issues with him. And then he gets the mystical Gabriel's horn. And so he gets this horn from, like, the angel of death after beating him, which creates interdimensional rifts, portals, vortexes, and wormholes, which I think those could all be the same thing. Yo, all you needed um, was some lamb's blood around your door. <laughs> exactly. That's what I've heard, personally. So he's creating these, like, rifts in between space and time. And the horn can also project hypersonic blasts. So then... He goes from the Guardian to the Hornblower, which is the worst superhero name that I've 
ever heard. The hornblower. The hornblower. But at least he, like, has one. That's, like, his original one. <laughs> I don't love it. It needs to either be it. an alliteration or, like, yeah, we need a better one. Okay, so he blows a horn. He blows a horn, uh-huh. and he's a guardian. Mm. I <laughs> audio protector. <laughs> I can't think Ooh, of what about just sound wave. Yeah, that's good. I feel like that's good. That's good. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like there's a lot of like sonic something. You yeah, know? sonic yeah, blast, yeah, yeah. static shock. Yeah, sound wave works. Sound wave. Okay, but <laughs> so he has superhero names. He has um uh. Karen ends up making him a costume. Like she's really trying to help him like fit in, but he's no still... capes. <laughs> definitely no capes, but no, he definitely had one with a very large lapel. Uh, but it didn't mean that he didn't feel excluded still and different and underappreciated. I mean, there's one storyline where the teen Titans break up, which they do often. And Robin just tells Mal to like hold down the fort. He's like, hey, can you take care of the headquarters while we're separated just in case we get back together? Because one of the other things that makes him feel uncomfortable is like everyone else is a sidekick to another person. And he's not. So he can keep everybody so else. Everybody else is going to like bop like, around. Oh, I got to go help Batman. And like, you know, Wonder Girl's like, got to go help Wonder Woman. And he's just like, I was recruited by myself. I'll watch I, the toaster. Okay, fine. I'll watch the headquarters. <laughs> I'll feed the dog. Uh, but thankfully, he has a girlfriend, Karen, to kind of confide in, and he tells her how it makes him feel. And he's like, I love the Teen Titans so much, and I love being a part of them. You know, and I don't want to rock the boat, but I'm really sad because I feel underappreciated. So this is when Karen Beecher steps in. She doesn't like seeing her boyfriend in this dark place, and she doesn't like that the Teen Titans don't seem to appreciate him. So this sets off her brilliant and somewhat misguided plan to help Mal. Which, by the way, is short for Malcolm. I didn't... I think you said that. Okay. that um, I came across that, like, halfway in my research because he's only ever referred to as Mal. Um, ooh, you could always call him Malware. Ooh. ooh, if he was like a computer hacker. But Mal is um, like a negative. <laughs> usually it's used for like a bad guy, like Maleficent. Right, like malicious. Um, but no, he's a good guy. So she decides that she's going to go in and attack Mal and see what the Teen Titans do. If they do nothing, it will finally prove that they don't really care about him and then he can just leave the group. And if they do something then they'll realize how much they care about him and start to appreciate him more. And if he takes her down on his own, then they'll be like, oh my gosh, you're so much more talented and powerful than we ever thought you were. This sounds like somebody faking a pregnancy to trick their boyfriend. It's it's really convoluted. (laughs) (laughs) But the problem is that she's just a regular human. She doesn't have any superpowers except... Her big giant science brain. So Karen is an engineer. She's like Dr. Octopus. <laughs> exactly. She's Doc Ock. So she develops a special bumblebee themed suit, which gives her some pretty cool powers. She can shrink down to a tiny size. Mm. She can fly. She can sting people with her electrical stinger. And her wings can vibrate at such a frequency that they can literally destroy things with their sonic blast. Sound wave. Ooh. 
That would also be a good one for him. Sonic, Sonic Blast. Blast. There we go. So she's like Ant-Man and the Wasp. Exactly. She puts on the suit. She can shrink down. Yep. Okay. There's some Marvel for you, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she also made herself these goggles, which mimic bug eyes that gave her like ultraviolet vision. And she can shoot honey at people. Like this suit is really wild. It's an elaborate suit. It's very elaborate. If it was for... a prom dress, I might yeah. buy it. <laughs> so she goes in. She attacks Mal. And, of course, this giant battle ensues between the Titans and Bumblebee. So she's like, okay, I guess they do like him. But then something unexpected happens. She's, like, whooping their asses. (laughs) Which I don't think any of them expected. Oh, so she's better than all the Teen Titans put together. Mm -hmm. I see. So I don't know exactly what happened because I couldn't find, like, the original comic books. And this part is always told very shortly. But it seems like she kind of feigns as though she's, like, losing to Mal because she wants him to be seen as indispensable to the group and, like, the clear hero. So she leaves and she's like, you haven't heard the last of me, Teen Titans. (laughs) And they're like, who the hell was that? (laughs) So now there's a new nemesis in town. I love it. So a couple of days go by and she feels kind of bad about lying to Mal. So she comes clean and she's like, hey, sorry, it was me. I'm the bumblebee. And when he tells the Titans and everybody learns that it was really Mal's nerdy girlfriend who almost killed them all, they're really impressed. And they invite her to join the group. Uh Uh-oh, is Mal not happy or is he happy? Mm, Not so much. So she's a little reluctant at first, but she can't deny that being a superhero is quite the rush. So she becomes Bumblebee and she joins the Teen Titans. But again, it kind of makes Mal feel like a little bit worse for a bit. You know, he feels a little jealous and upstaged. And even though he's technically had two superhero names, people just still refer to him as Mal. And then she walks in and she's Bumblebee. Like, no one ever refers to her as Karen. She's always her character Well, Karen's kind of a, you know. I mean, it's a slur now, so. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, if we ever needed a white woman slur, we got it. We got it. Finally. (laughs) I've been waiting all my life. (laughs) Britney was really going for a run for her, but then Britney Spears really ruined it. Yeah. By being amazing. Right. Come on, Brit. That was so fun. I remember that era. I miss it. <sighs> so, but, I mean, it seems to be kind of like, and, and also like right off the bat too, like she has a costume. It's this incredible suit. And like the suit gives her superpowers, which took him like a while to get, you know? So it, there is like a lot of like emotional beats with him. You know, and he's, like, struggling a little bit. Oh, my God. All she did was pay for your meal. Calm down. But it seems to be kind of a theme of their relationship to each other and to the group. But ultimately, Karen, a.k.a. Bumblebee, is extremely useful because not only is she super powerful with her suit and her flying and her everything, but she's really smart. So she uses her, you know, general engineering and science skills who knows what that even means to get them out of all sorts of binds and sticky situations so again the teen titans break up and get back together a lot in the comic books run and because the series gets so dramatic at some points you know i mean there's even a line a storyline where karen and mal finally get married but none of the rest of the teen titans come to their wedding just to like snub them (laughs) 
Calm down. And at one point in the late 70s, Karen and Mal end up owning a discotheque that Bruce Wayne funds and the Justice League uses as a gathering place. (laughs) And then she gets a job at Star Labs developing non-lethal weapons. And then at some point she gets shrunken down but can't get back to her normal size and almost <gasps> has a heart Honey, attack. I shrunk the kid. I know, exactly. Uh, oh, and she loses her memory at some point. Again, just like very like soap opera. I mean, she's been around for 50 years. Like this is, uh, it's a lot. And again, I'm not going to go into every single storyline because it's exhausting and super contradictory. I mean, there are some issues where Mal and Karen get divorced and others where they are together forever and have a baby. So who knows where they're at now in any of the universes where they exist. I mean, I mean, my favorite place where she is is in the Gotham Girls cartoon. Oh, oh yeah. We'll I mean, get to it. Okay. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's the only reason, like, we have so many um barbie dolls of her and yeah. they're not really barbie dolls they're action figure dolls but like my kids have all of the gotham girls oh yeah a hundred <laughs> times over well and that's why i think the important part is is that they exist and they're this like beautiful strong black couple that has to deal with like more than just bad guys but like racial issues at the time and career decisions and relationship issues i mean they've got to be one of the longest standing couples in the comic book world yeah, because like a lot of them like kind of go back and forth, and like Batman is like fucking everybody, you know, and like I guess Superman has Lois Lane, but like I feel like he oh, also has like Trist. Storm and Black Panther that are like on and off. They're again. very on and off though. Like if you go like usually Karen and Mal are always depicted together. Okay, you know I like that. And, yeah, I do. Well, too. it's also interesting because he was yearning for a sidekick, and sometimes your sidekick is your spouse. Oh, oh my gosh. Allie, that is such a great read of it. I love it. I love it, too. I love that they're together. He's the wasp. Let's just say that. (laughs) Bumblebee and the wasp. (laughs) Um, But ultimately, like, Bumblebee and Mal were kind of underused characters. But in recent years, Bumblebee has really gotten new life breathed into her. One by writer John Ridley, who wrote the screenplay for 12 Years a Slave. Wow! I know. That's different. (laughs) So he wrote this fantastic series of graphic novels called The Other History of the DC Universe, where he reimagined some of the biggest moments and storylines of comic book history from the perspective of the black characters. So in his retelling of like Teen Titan origin stories, like he tells it from this perspective of Bumblebee and Mal. And he really goes into the dynamics of their relationship. So, you know, I was talking about a lot of, like, his negative feelings and his jealousy and his feeling inadequate. So I'm not sure if all those feelings of, like, being an outcast or, like, being jealous or feeling like a token black character were present as much in the original comic books. But you can't deny that they're there. And John Ridley really brought them out in a clear way because rather than his books like keeping them as side characters they are like in the forefront of his books and he really goes into their emotional states which i think is really important um but unfortunately that seems to be the only space where bumblebee will really be a main character um she's still a guest star or a supporting character in multiple cartoons um 
And thankfully, other than one instance, <laughs> there was one time, uh, she's always been voiced by a black woman, which we know is a problem in the cartoon world. And it really a, is. It's a pretty good track record that, like, there was only one instance where she was voiced by a white woman. Um, but she was finally a regular in the cast of a cartoon show called DC Superhero Girls, where she was voiced by Kimberly Brooks, who, when you look up her credits, she's been in, like, everything. She's incredible. But, of course, her biggest TV role um, in her – so she gets this really, like, main part in this new show for kids, and she gets tangled up in a lawsuit, which is really unfortunate. That is terrible. So usually with a new kid's show comes new merchandise because kids love TV and TV-based toys. I mean, as you're saying, like, your girls have, like, every Bumblebee toy. But Hasbro Toys was not allowed – not about to let DC and Warner Brothers make a Bumblebee toy because they already owned a Bumblebee character toy, the Transformer. Uh-huh, because we got that, too. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he was about to have his own spinoff movie from the Transformers franchise. So they're like, this is really not a good time to have two Bumblebee action figures on the market at the same time. Yeah. So in 2000, and poor Megan Fox. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in 2017 or like 18, I mean, it was like obviously lawsuits take a while. So that's like the time frame. They filed a lawsuit claiming copyright infringements, even though DC's Bumblebee, so Karen Beecher, first appeared six years prior to the Transformers series. It's ridiculous. But so it, call her Bumble Wasp. Yeah. <laughs> But no one really knows what happened because, of course, they came to some sort of settlement. And, I mean, there are Bumblebee action figures on store shelves. So, obviously, like, they were allowed to keep her. But, unfortunately, because of this lawsuit, DC has remained kind of hesitant about making her a more prominent character. Um, because they just, like, really don't want to deal with it, which is really unfortunate. Um, but she can still be found fighting crime on many shows and video games. And I just love that through all of it, she is still a part of the universe, even if she is still just a side character. And that's the story of Bumblebee. <laughs> Yay! I love, I love it because I, like, when, like I said, my kids have the things, they watch Gotham Girls, like, and she is a character in the DC universe that yeah. I just don't know her backstory. Yeah, I mean, I wish there was more to it, but, you know, I think it's still, there like, isn't always. fleshed out enough. And, uh, yeah, and it's hard, too, because, again, the Teen Titans are already kind of a spinoff, so then she's, like, a spinoff of a spinoff, mm -hmm. and she's, like, in all these sorts of different worlds and time zones and whatever. But, uh, but I think it's really interesting to see what... Because, like, I feel like nobody really knows about Mal Duncan. Mm -mm. I've never heard of him. No. Um, but I feel like Bumblebee is still, like, in the cultural zeitgeist. Well, and it's, it's because there's been this big draw for, like, she's in a really interest, interesting niche of, like, we're really interested right now in girl power. Yeah. Um, and then it's also, like, but I want my girl power to be diverse. Yeah. So we're in a space where it's, like, let me look at what exists and let me pull from those, like, tendrils of thread mm -hmm. and make sure it still exists. Yeah. So I think people are drawing on characters of the past to fill these gaps and it's like well we should have filled them a long time ago right but yeah. i'm glad this exists yeah. expand exactly <laughs> set your sources please Ooh. uh okay 
Do you want to talk about these two women together? I do. <laughs> In a segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay, so obviously we had a theme to the night where we don't normally do, but we wanted to talk about specifically like black female representation in comic books because it is so underrepresented. And we're both not educated in that (laughs) No, definitely not. But I think that you have these two women so rooted in that. And I just think that they were both trying to show nuanced versions of – black women and black black relationships as well right and i know like when i was doing research for jackie orms and i was reading about torchy and patty joe and ginger and candy one thing that kept coming up is that a lot of the videos kept mentioning a list of black female comic book characters yeah and bumblebee's always on the list Mm -hmm. and i just think that that shows how small of a list there is Mm -hmm. you know if you can watch every video and they cite the same exact examples yeah you know the pool's not very large right the pool (laughs) isn't large and it's it's interesting that they are like it's almost like torchy because she was kind of like this action person is the because she didn't have any superpowers yeah she was just like a james bond ish type character with mm-hmm. a boyfriend yeah the torchy is almost the pre-bumblebee oh yeah no absolutely because they were both women and i feel like that's jackie orma's orm's whole story is like making your own power mm. <laughs> and like i feel like Torchy and Bumblebee and Jackie were like, all right, like if no one's going to give me fucking superpowers, I'm just going to make them myself. Right. <laughs> like if no one's going to make my, like this story, like I'm just going to do it because I love that Jackie's like, no one's writing black people correctly in comics. So like, I'm going to put this into my own hands. And mm. you know, that's what like Karen did. Karen Beecher did. She was like, I need to like, fix a situation so i'm just going to give myself superpowers because i'm so smart <laughs> and i love that they're both these intelligent women that just worked through the problems in their lives yeah i find that to be really interesting i i don't always like it when you got bit by a spider and you wake up with powers i don't like it when you're right. a millionaire and you can pay for all of your stuff it's like yeah some characters usually villains are the ones who figure it out mm-hmm. without extraterrestrial type powers and it's like yeah. she's not a villain no she's not she figured it out the way villains do but then was like yeah i'll join your good guy team yeah well it's funny because she almost kind of pretended to be a villain but she was, it was all for a good purpose right. you know and it's right. very interesting to me mm. Well, especially because I think that Karen kind of had the same feeling that Jackie did of like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I'm going to do because no one is paying attention to me. Like, I feel like Jackie is like, no one's paying attention to these black comics. So I'm going to be so political. I'm going to be political. I'm going to say what I want. And I feel like that was Karen's thing. She's like, no one would ever suspect me of being a criminal mastermind. So if I attack the Teen Titans, then like, I'll always be safe. You know what I'm saying? I'll be safe. There's always this, I feel like there's this um, vision in their head of like, I'm just going to go ahead and imagine and create the life for me that doesn't exist because who's really looking at me? (laughs) And it's astonishing. I think we just, we write off 
comics and comic books and single panel cartoons as like for children and so childish but they're so one of the college professors i was talking to is was saying that comic books are an evolution of comics in newspapers mm. and comics in newspapers are an evolution of political satire so oh. it's this line drawn between the ideas of what's happening in politics uh -huh. being put in a single panel cartoon and then being put in an entire book so that comic books regardless of who they're for are politically charged oh yeah absolutely i mean i think you can see that too and like you have like the kiss between like mal and lilith right. and like this seminal point where like there's also you know, a lot of these moments in like TV history sometimes happen in TV shows or like on live TV or whatever. Like I remember there was this episode of there's an episode of Will and Grace <laughs> where Jack and Will are like so excited because there is a sitcom or whatever in their fictional area where there's going to be the first like gay kiss mm. and they're watching it and they're so excited because it's never happened before. And then the camera pans away. Right. And they don't see it. So then, like, they go into the back of, like, Good Morning America or whatever, like, Al Roker is, like, interviewing them. And then they kiss. And they're like, okay, if it's not going to happen, we're going to make it happen. And, like, that's the first, like, on-air gay kiss because there is an element of, like, I mean, like, we've been saying this whole time. Like, if it's not going to happen, if they're not going to make it happen, like, I will. And I love that in these comic books – you have to draw it out, send it to an editor. It's not just a spur of the moment thing. Like it is a process and, and like a very deliberate choice. We've talked about it for so many different comics, right? Like we talked about when Storm kissed uh, Wolverine and how that's technically oh, an yeah. interracial kiss. Mm -hmm. uh, he's Canadian. Storm was from Africa, right? She was, I think, born in Egypt. Right. And yeah. then, yeah. So there's like mm -hmm. that whole situation. And then we talked about the um, female kiss between Poison Ivy mm -hmm. and Catwoman. I mean, Harley, Harley Quinn. Quinn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure Catwoman's involved at some point. Well, and I think that also comes back to like this almost like freedom to fight like racism and sexism in the cartoon world because like. People aren't really thinking about it. They're not really paying attention. And I think it's great that they really took a hold of that. And the fact that they're still taking a hold of it now. Like, you know, in the other history of the DC Universe, like, he is expounding on these things that I'm sure when he read those as a kid, he was like, this is what I'm seeing. He's like, I'm seeing that, like, Mal Duncan feels like the token black best friend. And he goes, I totally align with that. Like, and he's like, I feel his frustration with this group and like, yes, feeling like I am just here because, again, you just needed a black character. You needed whatever. And like, I like that he then because that's what happens in comic books, that people that read the comic books then go on to create the new ones and they create the storylines that they felt were lacking in the old ones. And I love that Jackie was so on the forefront of that. And 
who like if it wasn't for her i mean really how long would it have been until we had the first black female cartoonist who fucking knows it could have been forever it really could have been because it just takes one person to get that ball rolling and i think it's incredible because you know you have guys like john ridley who like grew up reading this stuff and they're like i am going to take it a step further and like that is so much further out (laughs) if you don't have people like jackie orms starting the process which i think is just it's so incredible and i love it and also i think that merchandise yeah. It's an oddly big part in both of these stories. It is. It is an oddly big part. And it's a part in the sense that, like, I, people still, when we talk about Gotham Girls, I have maybe 10 Poison Ivy dolls. We've got 10 Harley Quinns. Now, also, my kids do dress up like Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. But we've got lots of Supergirls. We have mm-hmm. lots of this. We have lots of that. People are more tentative to buy my white children a black doll. Mm -hmm. And it just seems a bit ridiculous. Yeah. It's like they won't be disappointed if they open up a present that has a black doll in it. Well, thankfully, they won't. But like some kids (laughs) might be. I remember actually this very famous story in uh, my high school friend group where my friend's mom got a black Barbie doll for Christmas and like threw it into the fire. Are you kidding? No, but I mean, this was like, I mean, <laughs> long time ago, long time ago. But like, that is, it was like a sense, like a reaction that she had. Like, I can see that. Like when I was, so when I was little, I would get, uh, the holiday Barbie for Christmas every mm-hmm. year. But I, in the store at that point, they would sell two holiday Barbies, the white one with blonde hair and the black one. There wasn't the white one with brown hair yet. So I, Teresa, right, Teresa. We all I know, know her we name. We all know who she is. Say her name, <laughs> Teresa. Um, but um, I always, in my childhood, wanted the black holiday Barbie because I thought she looked more like me because of yeah, her hair. Of her hair. Mm-hmm. So I would ask specifically for <laughs> that one from Santa, and I have like a slew of like black Barbie dolls in their boxes that no one can touch. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> I know that's so like it's it's like counterintuitive to like what you would think, but hair color was more important to me yeah. than skin color. Like before, I understood like the cultural idioms. Oh yeah, of the totally. whole thing. Yeah, I was too young to get what people thought. Yeah, well, and that's why like representation matters so much because like. If there is a fictional character that connects to you, you like, <laughs> again, why do all these, after all these years, do I remember that Teresa was the first Barbie doll that looked like me just because she had brown hair? Right. Like, you know, in the grander sense, it's like every one of them should have looked like me because I can always change my hair color. But right. like at that time, it was like, it was revolutionary to me. And I can't even imagine how mm-hmm. like girls in wheelchairs or of other races felt like growing up and being like okay great i have no one to connect with on this shelf yeah yo skipper's a punk now <laughs> is she really yeah she's like punk rock she's got like a pink streak <sighs> she's got like tats oh my tattoo yeah skipper's wild get bro. her back in the bungalow what the <laughs> hell <laughs> I, lo- I love how wild skipper has gotten um i think it's true too like we've talked about american girl dolls before and how the representation is so important 
Um, and just like, and Disney princesses and how oh, representation, yeah. representation is so important. It just, it, it, your representation in me, print media, in like children's media, in yeah. art is you can't get away from it. No. And that's what I love that Jackie was like, Jackie looked at the field and said, they're pretty unlikely to sell paper dolls in stores. So you know what? I'm just going to put it out there and we'll never actually know how many girls cut out this doll. How many girls cut out the outfits every week? I'm not going to make any extra money for it. I'm not going to literally, I'm not going to make any extra money for it. But this is a service that needs to be provided because this newspaper cutout might be the only doll representation that these girls ever have. And I think it's incredible that she really kind of put aside any ideas of like, like, no, well, like if I'm going to make a doll, I'm going to make money off of it. Right, She's profit like, no, margin. The, the forward thing it's like it means more than that it means more than any kind of profit i'll get off of this Mm -hmm. um and and obviously it did yeah (laughs) obviously it did if everybody keeps referencing her yeah Mm. i love it are you ready to toast i'm ready Allie. who would you like to toast this evening i want to toast people who are fighting for representation obviously for all kinds of people in all types of media and in all types of careers, like, I think we do need to fight to get people into jobs they're not in. I yeah. do think we need to fight to have people in public places and political places that is a good, even spread of different types of people and races and genders, which we do not have at all. Um, we've come a long way mm-hmm. since the 1930s. But it's a battle that we're still fighting, and I'm thankful for the people who are willingly fighting it. I love it. So, All right, cheers. cheers. What do you have? I'm going to toast the women who give themselves superpowers. I think that it's such a cool thing when women just decide, you know what? Like, no one's doing it, so I'm going to fucking do it. <laughs> Because it's a really hard decision to make and it's really putting yourself out on a ledge. And I just, I found so much strength in that part of the story where she was like, (laughs) there's a problem with my boyfriend. So I'm going to create an entire ridiculous super suit. Again, not like I feel like normally in cartoons, like people create a super suit like i think of syndrome in (laughs) (laughs) the incredibles to like take over the world and like get revenge and she's like no i'm gonna use it once to help my boyfriend and then i'm gonna retire (laughs) and i just think it's great so give yourself some superpowers you probably already have them probably already have them cheers All right. Ready for a promo? I'm ready. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Katie, Dunkin' Donuts is (laughs) killing it. Uh, Really? Their new menu, their new drinks, 
They really mm-hmm. are doing. I do like their cold brew with the foam. Okay, their new cold brew is great. They've also got these refreshers, Ooh. which are like these iced tea refreshers, <gasps> and you can get coconut milk in them if you want. But <laughs> so I went into Dunkin' Donuts with producer to like get something a week ago, and he's expecting me to get like a coffee and like whatever. And I was like, "Can I have a pomegranate blueberry refresher <laughs> and an avocado toast?" and I and he swear was to like, God. I thought you were from Scandinavia. He was like, what's happening? If he wasn't wearing a mask, his mouth would have hit the floor. <laughs> he was like, who the fuck? He openly laughed at me in the store. He was like, who the fuck are you? But their avocado toast is decent. It's not fresh, okay. obviously, but mm-hmm. it's decent. And their iced tea is really kicking it. I love it. I love an iced tea. Actually, you know what? I almost promoted, and I'm going to spoil it for myself because I'm going to promote it next week. As I've um, been making my own like mint iced tea. Look at you. Look at you. Look at you. Sun kissed? <laughs> Not sun kissed. I don't put it in a window to sit for oh 10 hours. Oh my God. Hours. My mom does that shit. Um, I know. I used to have to do it at the restaurant that I worked at. So They'd be like, put the iced tea in the window. I'm like, but and then I'm it like, gets hot. Is this really a good look for us? Then it's Just hot to- tea barrel of iced tea in the window <laughs> sitting in the sun i guess some people <laughs> like it like that i don't they love it all right <sighs> okay what do you really want to promo? what i'm really gonna promo is a new show <laughs> so i've been curious about this show for a long time but i didn't have access to it but Paige gave me her hbo max password okay, perfect perfect it's so called I'm watching it- friends <laughs> i'm watching friends it's so good didn't um, age well but yeah <laughs> But no, I'm watching The Righteous Gemstones. Okay. Have you heard of this no. show? It's really good. Okay. So it focuses on a family that has built a mega church empire. Oh, shit. And it really weaves in the story of like how it kind of got started. Like, because you don't, st- like, you kind of get that information later. And then really how it spun off, you know, and there's three kids, there's two boys and a girl, (laughs) the poor girl, like, because she's a woman, she's not allowed to like really be involved. So she's the secretary. (laughs) Of course. course. And like, they live on this compound and they're so absurdly wealthy. I mean, like, and they really break down the numbers, which give you an idea of like what mega churches really do. I love a mega church story. I'm obsessed with it because like. Like the kids talking and he's like, oh yeah. He's like, you know, they're usually pulling about a million a week on Easter though. It's close to like three or five million dollars. Wow. Christmas and Easter only. They pop I mean, up. They pop on. up. It's insane. And there's just a lot of drama, but it's so fucking funny. It's like written and produced by Danny McBride and he stars in it and he's so funny. And it's really fun when like like Allie and I grew up in the church and then like you see all these contradictory things and it's so absurd and uh, I just love it because I for one hate mega churches because I grew up in a really tiny church that I love and still love to this day uh, and- lots of unsolicited <laughs> solos in both oh absolutely <laughs> um unsolicited solos and advice um but, <laughs> from everyone all the time but I love it because like it it's it's just really fun and it's really well done and yeah it's wild so the righteous gemstones on HBO Max it's very good well damn <laughs> now I want to see it okay find us everywhere please do <laughs> 
You love us, you like us. We're on all the social medias. Mm-hmm. Retweet, love, like, mm-hmm. whatever Rate, you Review do. us, right. send something positive our way. Um, let me know if you like our laugh. Um, <laughs> that one. That, <laughs> that one speci- specifically. That one specifically, whether or not it's good. Um, And we're on Patreon. We record a little bit extra for Patreon every week. So yeah. you can get uncut episodes, and you get all of our mistakes, all of our flubs, yeah. and free stuff, and bonus. And yeah, so... If you want to support the show, we're over there. But really, we want you to remember that well-behaved women resist the urge to be a smartass. And they rarely make history. Goodbye. Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye